listening to a podcast by Radio Canada International. Imagine a self-driving car with broken brakes going at full speed towards a grandmother and a child. If it deviates a little bit, one of them can be saved. Who would you choose, the grandmother or the child? Do you think there is only one right answer? This is an example of a typical ethical dilemma to show how important ethics is when we develop technologies. Artificial intelligence has an impact in every domain of our life, education, health, news, uh, culture, and it has an impact on any one of us. So that's why ethics is here to help us questioning if we are going into the right direction with technologies leading towards the society that we want to live in. Here is one aspect that shows the importance of ethics in AI. And Montreal plays a major role in the development of ethical rules for artificial intelligence. Well, you guessed it right. That's what we will look at today in this episode. You're listening to Montreal, Centre of the AI World. I'm Matthew Laser. Ethics is a vast and sometimes complicated subject. So you might wonder what ethics has to do with AI. Well, let me give you a few notions. Research in the field of AI is advancing at a very rapid pace, while the legal, social and ethical environments that are needed to guide it are evolving very slowly. How far can a machine's autonomy and its decision-making power be allowed to go? If an accident occurs, who's responsible? and who decides what values are instilled in machines during what is called the training. These and many other questions remain unanswered today. The least scary future I can think of is one where we have at least democratized AI. That's Elon Musk talking in a web interview. Because if one company or small group of people manages to develop godlike digital superintelligence, they could take over the world. At least when there's an evil dictator, that human is going to die. But for an AI, there would be no death. It would live forever. And then you'd have an immortal dictator from which we can never escape. At some point in the early 21st century, all of mankind was united in celebration. We marveled at our own magnificence as we gave birth to AI. AI, you mean artificial intelligence? A singular consciousness that spawned an entire race of machines. We don't know who struck first, us or them, but we know that it was us that scorched the sky. As you just heard, Elon Musk, a brilliant mind that can sometimes be quite controversial and one of the richest person on the planet. Well, he's rather pessimistic about what AI can become. You may also have recognized the voices of Morpheus and Neo from the film Matrix. The movie depicts the future where machines took control over humans. 
Even if fundamental research in this field is largely motivated by well-being, unintentional but also intentional deviations are always possible. That's why it's imperative to ensure that this technology is developed according to carefully established ethical standards. And some of the brightest people on earth already thought about it back in 2015. Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, Steve Wozniak and Yosha Bengio. Remember him? One of the godfathers of deep learning and the one who brought Montreal to the top. Well, they all signed an open letter calling for a ban on autonomous weapons known as killer robots. I think there is a, a bigger issue of the progress in science and technology going faster than the rate at which societies can become wiser in how to use technology. Here is Joshua talking to CBC Spark host Noah Young. Uh, and become wiser in general. Uh, so some people call this the wisdom race. We have to make sure that our collective intelligence and our collective wisdom grows fast enough to make sure that those technologies are not used in bad ways. One way that I like to think of it is we're building these more and more powerful tools. And of course, we're making those tools more and more easily used by individuals, companies, governments. But as those tools become more powerful, it means that those individuals or organizations can also misuse them. And the only way around that is to have a more just society where people care more about the group and not as much about their individual interests. Mm -hmm. Machine learning has made some incredible progress, particularly in some areas that have long been resistant to AI. So from where we are now, what do you see as the primary challenges ahead? What are the major hurdles that were in order to increase the sophistication of AI? So current AI systems are very stupid. And we can see that when we analyze the sort of mistakes they make. We see by those mistakes that they don't understand the world in even the ways that a two-year-old does or even that a mouse does. They don't understand very simple things about physics or about human psychology in the case of children. And that's both a concern because, for example, in the case of uh, applications in the military where we're talking about these killer drones, they don't understand the psychological or social context that a human might and, and the human might decide not to kill the person because of that, whereas the machine will just do it. As far as research is concerned, what it tells me and others is, yes, we are far from human-level AI, but we're starting to see the kinds of things that are missing and that's what research is about. So the kinds of things that are missing are precisely systems that can learn by themselves about how the world works, about cause and effect, about not just a very specialized piece of knowledge like playing the game of Go, but more broadly about how our environment is structured and works and, and, and human interactions and so on. And it's gonna take a lot of time to, to reach that level.
By saying that, Yoshua Bengio underpins the necessity to adopt ethical rules around AI. This is why, in 2017, he's been involved with the Université de Montréal to launch the Montreal Declaration for Responsible Development of AI. But what's about this declaration? The Montreal Declaration was initiated by the Université de Montréal. Alison Cohen is Applied Research Lead at AI for Humanity, a subdivision of Miller. And it was designed both in collaboration with Mila, which was obviously heavily involved in its in its development, but also designed using the input of citizen stakeholders. It considers itself to be sort of a living, evolving document. And their idea behind consulting a variety of stakeholders and, and citizens is, you know, with greater feedback, they wanted to increase the, the robustness of consideration that's been put into this document, as well as, of course, the legitimacy uh, of the document and sort of bring to light all of these controversies and conversations that are happening among those that are devising these principles on ethical AI. It's been this living document. I believe there are 10 principles within it that point to shared underlying human values that we have with respect to the development of artificial intelligence. The goal is that the document will serve as an ethical framework for developments in artificial intelligence going forward. And I think the idea is also that there is a massive digital transformation that's happening and there's not a lot of orientation or navigation from the top down, from government down necessarily, on how that technology should be developing. So the idea with the Montreal Declaration is that it would help navigate the development of these technologies in a semi-top-down way. And finally, I think it also just tried to set a precedent for collaborating with the public at large when developing these types of documents, because it's really predicated on a shared social contract and social understanding of what type of technology we want to exist and have an impact on our lives. Some organizations in Montreal are already working to achieve these objectives. This is the case of the Montreal AI Ethics Institute, led by Abhishek Gupta. So the Institute was born about uh, three and a half years ago and was formally incorporated as a nonprofit about two and a half years ago. And it came out of a need for creating a platform, a space for people to come and share their concerns and learn about the societal impacts of AI. What we found was that a lot of people were being excluded from these discussions. And that exclusion came from both self-erected barriers, but also barriers erected by other people. The barriers erected by other people came from the fact where, you know, they often asked people to have sort of, uh, you know, high credentials or coming from certain institutions to be able to take part in these discussions, which obviously makes it hard when you don't necessarily come from the same field or, you know, don't come from the places that, you know, the gatekeepers, the quote unquote gatekeepers recognize uh, as the ones deemed worthy of participating. Ultimately, what we realized was that when we're talking about something as large as the societal impacts of AI, uh, there is actually a lot to be gained from perspectives coming from different fields. So, you know, uh, if you have uh, experience in the field of bioethics, you've encountered a lot of these problems in different shapes before. And so bringing that expertise to the table is very important. 
And ultimately, uh, what I would say is that if it's something that's going to affect all of us, which it is, then it is, in, in my opinion, our prerogative. It should be our duty to participate in the shaping of the technical and policy measures as it relates to AI. And doing so from a place where we're well informed about it, uh, I think is very important because, uh, again, you know, you don't want people to come at it from an angle where they think Skynet is coming tomorrow or, you know, killer robots or, you know, robots are taking my jobs. Uh, and, and having a more nuanced discussion will actually lead us to a place where we can create positive impact. And I think that's really what we wanted to achieve through the genesis of this institute. An open dialogue around AI ethics is also at the heart of the Montreal Declaration. And that's why Abhishek Gupta was present at its genesis. He shared with me some anecdotes about how it happened. I was involved in the declaration in the very, very early days when it was just uh, Martin Gibert who was working on it. And it was just a one-page document, only in French. And I remember, you know, meeting him close to University of Montreal, talking to him about it. Uh, we met up, we, we discussed the principles. It was just one page, you know, translated it to English. I mean, of course, you know, all of that work was done by them. And I was just there to help. And then we ran sort of seven consultations with our community to provide very concrete feedback on the principles. And the iteration of the formulation that you see today, a lot of our comments were incorporated into that. And uh, the principles stand today are actually quite comprehensive in terms of uh, the areas that they cover. But also what I like is that they do provide more guidance than just being very abstract principles, because again, that's not helpful. If I tell you to do no harm, there are so many other follow-up questions you have as to what that means, for who, etc., etc. And I think the declaration does a very good job of tackling those very, uh, you know, in a head-on manner. And in fact, it was one of the first sort of declarations that actually took that step and has been used as a model by other policy documents and declarations around the world as well. So, so we were quite happy to have uh, the chance to contribute uh, in, in those very, very early days, convening those workshops, bringing together people to share their opinions and ideas. And, and do you think it's, it's a pure hazard that it happens in Montreal or Montreal made it possible to have this declaration? I think it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, I, I am never one to discount, you know, serendipity. I think serendipity plays a huge role in, in everything that we have in our lives. But it's also the unique culture of Montreal, right? I mean, uh, we, we certainly can't take that away. It's, it's our mix of being very sort of sensitive from a societal perspective in terms of what's going around. It's something that I find, you know, Montreal uh, shines in that respect. But also we have the technical expertise, right? The, the scientific uh, talent that is present through the universities, through now some of the industry research labs in Montreal as well. And, and it's that collision of both of those things, I think, that uh, made Montreal the perfect place for the genesis of something like the Montreal Declaration for Responsibility. Yeah, and of course, I think a huge role was played uh, by Dr. Benjou as well, and, and you know, Marc-Antoine Dilac and Martin Gibet and the others who were associated with the declaration. But I think we can all agree that we greatly profited from our community in Montreal, which has that sensitivity to you know, the social changes around us and has the technical expertise 
and can bring both of those together because it's also not sufficient to just have both of those things. But how do you bring them together to put forth these ideas that, again, I mean, you know, it's we we do have the spotlight from the world when it comes to AI ethics. I mean, I remember I led the Canadian delegation at the UN AI for Good Global Summit in Geneva. It was so positive and uplifting that we had a lot of the folks from other countries come up to us and say, hey, we're looking at the Canadians, uh, you know, you guys are doing good work, uh, you know, we, we'd love to collaborate and work with you. And, uh, you know, of course, I'm biased, I guess, uh, because uh, that's, that's our perspective. But, but it was evident that people really liked our approach. And I think it speaks to us being Canadians. It speaks to us in, in that sense that, uh, you know, people look up to us as, you know, sort of beacons for doing this kind of work. Over 2,000 citizens and more than 100 organizations have already signed the declaration. In fact, even you or, or I could sign it if you wanted to. But what does it mean to sign this declaration? What does it imply? I would say that because the declaration is non-binding, there are no obligations that one necessarily has by virtue of signing the document but rather i would say it's a it's a commitment that an individual or an organization is taking in its own work almost yes to the community but also to themselves to recognize that a, I am supporting this document. I think I give that vote of confidence that this is something that we should be considering when it comes to developing our technologies. But also, right now, there is a lack of awareness, education, and responsibility and accountability. So to some extent, signing this document helps fill that gap that we see being so prevalent in the world of AI ethics. In other words... Signing the Montreal Declaration means agreeing, as individuals or organizations, to avoid certain disaster scenarios. Scenarios such as those we can imagine after seeing TV series such as Black Mirror, Westworld, Terminator and other science fiction movies. Besides the Montreal Declaration, the city is also home to several other initiatives, such as the International Observatory on the Societal Impacts of AI and Digital Technologies. Remember, we talked about it in the previous episode as it brings together nearly 20 universities and colleges, as well as nearly 90 research centres, including Miller. Speaking of Miller, its subdivision called AI for Humanity is also conducting various ethical projects. One of the projects that we are very proud and excited about and that is continuing to progress at a very consistent rate is a project called Biasly. This project was first developed by four 
female interns, all of whom had been doing their internship with Mila. This is actually a great story because the four of them first met through our AI for Good summer lab. Uh, These four women met each other there and decided to do their internship with Mila and wanted to realize this project called Biasly AI. This project is pretty much designed to deploy a natural language processing algorithm on text online in order to identify instances of racial and gender bias um, and actually perform a debiasing function on that text. So they initiated it. They've since completed their internship and pushed this this project forward to a very significant extent. This project is now being worked on by Joshua Bengio, Dianbo Lu, who is a technical lead. So this project is just such a great example because not only is it looking to build a, an AI project that has socially good outcome, but it's also a very rigorous technical problem and is highly cognizant of who's sitting at the table in the design of this project. So that's one example of the projects we're working on. We are also in the very early stages of a AI and modern slavery project, as well as an AI and human rights law project. And another exciting initiative that we are spearheading is a women in AI initiative with the goal of bringing together women from across the world to mentor one another with respect to what it's like to be a woman working in this field. We've recently completed a project called Visualizing Climate Change, which is up on our website and we're, you know, really excited about. It is an incredible project that can actually demonstrate the impact that climate change will have in places around the world. We talk about the Montreal Declaration. We talk about ethical principles. But what exactly are they? The overarching thing when we think about ethical AI for me is how do we use AI in a way that serves the need of people and and not just a narrow set of people but serves the need for as many people as we can that's that's sort of the overarching idea right but there are many sort of principles within that banner some of them include discrimination they include you know accountability transparency justice bias and fairness privacy and to me what's more important than looking at some of those principles is how they're expressed and how they're conveyed because if you go to For example, the OECD AI Policy Observatory, you'll find more than 100 documents, and and I'm not exaggerating, there are really more than 100 documents there that articulate these principles, use similar terminology, but have nuances in there, right? But I think the overarching idea, again, is how do we use AI in a socially responsible manner that actually serves humanity rather than exploiting us for perhaps financial gains or for perhaps harming us? And I think that really is the crux of this push for having ethical AI. And the Montreal Declaration, of course, expresses it in a certain form. You've got the principles from the IEEE. You've got principles that have been put out by other organizations. You know, the European Commission has some principles as well, the Beijing AI principles. And I think, again, the idea there is making sure that you are actually serving humanity rather than, quote-unquote, humanity serving the machines. And I think that's really uh, what it's all about. With all the different ethical declarations created all over the world to frame AI, 
we needed a certain order, a certain reference. And what better than the largest organization in the world to do that? Well, I'm talking about the United Nations here, and more precisely, UNESCO. Artificial intelligence evidently can bring downside risks and challenges, even if unintended. Today, the international community has no truly global instrument to channel benefits and tackle risk of artificial intelligence technologies. This is what UNESCO wants to support through its work on a recommendation on ethics of artificial intelligence. This is a truly grand endeavor, because ethics is everything. This moral ground is translated into developing solutions from artificial intelligence aligned with human goals and in full respect of human dignity, human rights, and all the values and principles that we believe in and that have proven so important in these tiring times that we are all together facing and trying to cope with. The recommendation is the basis for ensuring that these technologies enhance the quality of life, it provides for concrete measures to control the downsides, and proposes solutions for current and anticipated problems. We invite everyone to join us in this endeavor, as artificial intelligence is everyone's business. UNESCO was mandated by its member states to develop the first global normative instrument in this field, the recommendation on the ethics of AI. This recommendation aims to provide a framework of forward-looking values and principles to help mitigate future risks. It also suggests concrete policy actions designed to address new challenges. This first global normative instrument was the subject of the high-level group on the ethics of artificial intelligence, led by, guess who? Yosha Bengio. And that was in November 2020. And the idea originally came from Canada and France two years earlier. Now that we've seen that Montreal is an important place in terms of ethics on the international scene, one question remains. Can we really consider Montreal as the centre of the AI world? Well, that's a question we'll answer in the next episode. You've been listening to Montreal, centre of the AI world. See you next time.